Hi, I'm Ashley. I'm Jen. And I'm Sarah. And we are Unabridged, the podcast where teachers take on books. Join us each week for bookish episodes and check out our website, unabridgedpod.com, where you can find lots of new bookish content every week. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at unabridgedpod and message us there or see our website to get plugged into the unabridged community. You want opinions about books? We've got them. everyone. This is Jen here with a teaching tidbit about choosing books for your classroom. Before I get started, I just want to remind you that Unabridged does have a Teachers Pay Teachers store. We share unit lesson plans there. We share discussion questions, um, particularly for books we've done buddy reads for. We have some deeper dives that you could use with a book club or with your class. We have things organized by theme. So we have an array of resources centered on books, of course, that could be really helpful for you. So we will link that in the show notes and hope you check it out. All right, I'm going to start today with my bookish check-in. I am currently reading Holly Jackson's As Good as Dead, which is book three in her series that began with A Good Girl's Guide to Murder. So this is a trilogy. As far as I know, this is the last book, as always, with trilogies and with the final book it's tough to talk about it without giving spoilers so I'm going to actually talk about A Good Girl's Guide to Murder book one a little bit just so you get a sense of what the series is about so this one is centered on a girl named Pip who for her senior project decides that she is going to investigate a closed case that for a murder that happened in her town So there was a very popular senior named Andy Bell who was dating this great guy, Sal Singh. And when Andy was murdered, Sal was determined to be the murderer. But Pip has always thought that that was not right, that Sal was innocent. She had a lot of questions based on the conclusions that people drew, which just did not seem consistent with the Sal she knew and really, really liked. So she decides to start investigating. She also starts a podcast called A Good Girl's Guide to Murder, where she shares some of the interviews and her investigatory process. So that is the focus of book one. If you're a fan of the podcast serial, you'll definitely see some of the connections there. In book two, it, it strays a little bit, and there's this totally separate case that Pip investigates. And now I'm in book three, and it is looping back to a lot of the people and some of the elements of the case from book one. So it's been really fun to see what has happened with Pip over the course of her high school career. And this one, it starts, she's getting ready to go to college. But it also is illuminating some things from book one that were maybe not quite wrapped up. So that is Holly Jackson's As Good as Dead. And if you want to start with book one, that is A Good Girl's Guide to Murder. Today, I want to talk a little bit about choosing books for your classroom. I know a lot of you are classroom teachers at various levels. A lot of you are librarians. So I know that this process will vary depending on your level. But I am looking ahead to next year. And I'm going to talk about this in a separate episode, the way I plan sort of my course outline, but I'm looking ahead to next year. So I'm teaching one class that is the same, but then I am going to have essentially three new preps. One of those is kind of a variation of what I've taught before. 
So I'm really trying to be mindful of what I'm doing ahead of time to give myself plenty of time to plan. But also I have this opportunity to focus on new and different books for my classroom. So I've known this was coming for a while. So I've sort of been mulling over the books I might want to teach. One question I always think about is whether I want to do something as a whole class read, if I want to do it as literature circles, or if I want to give the students sort of an overarching topic and have everyone choose their own book. So I'm going to do a little bit of each, but the new books are primarily going to be for literature circles. I wanted to start with some themes some big themes and some questions. And I will just say, if you are an English teacher, particularly a high school English teacher, and you have not found Dana Huff yet, I'll link her website in the show notes. She is always a great resource for just thinking about how you're planning out your class and the types of resources you might want to use. And she has some great posts on teaching English, particularly at 11th and 12th grade, thematically instead of chronologically. So... That is something I've wrestled with for a long time. I was in a situation this past year where I was expected to teach chronologically, but at our school in particular, a thematic organization is going to work better. So I'm moving toward themed lit circles about topics that plug in with the things that my colleagues are teaching. I've talked before about the fact that there's a lot of collaboration at my school, that we do a lot of things with at least two of us, but some things that all four of us pitch in on the topic together. So for example, the math and science teacher, one of the science teachers this year did this unit about space exploration and finding new planets, which gave me the idea of doing something with journeys and exploration. The other science teacher is also chiming in with this plant the moon unit. So at both grade levels that we teach, juniors and seniors, we have these connections that we can bring together for our whole school. So what do I do to find some books? Well, I start thinking about those big questions and those big topics, and then often I just Google books about blank. And I know that seems really rudimentary, but I have a sense of the sites that I really like. So I often look at Book Riot, but also just sometimes Googling helps and I'll see some ideas. Now, I will say you have to be careful because every Google result is not going to match the theme you have in mind. And sometimes people categorize books in ways that I don't agree with, but it's a starting point. So I will just start making lists and Hopefully, I read a lot, so hopefully some of those books on that list I will have read, but inevitably there are books that come up on multiple lists that I have not read. And of course, those are the ones that I'm focused in on because everybody's talking about them. So I make lists, I start reading reviews, I start reading about trigger warnings, and I start paring down the list. I really want to be mindful of diversity in all realms. So I mean diverse authors diverse protagonists. If it's fiction, I want books that represent a multitude of life experiences. I want different styles because I have very different readers. So I have some students who are constantly seeking a challenge and they want to read these 
more challenging books. And then I have other students who don't love to read. And so for them, I want something, if I can get it, that's a little more fast paced, that will allow them to consider the theme at the center while actually reading the book. If I can, sometimes the genre is my focal point, but if the genre isn't my focal point, I try to get diverse genres and just really have a lot of options for students so that everyone can find a book that meets them as readers. Then I start borrowing and ordering perusal copies. So I try to get as many of these from the library as I can. And this is the most time-consuming part, of course, but I want to read the books that I'm putting out there for my students. Now, some of these are books that I've read, but maybe it was a while back. So really just perusing them is enough to bring back the details of the book. For those, often I will, you know, Google deeper summaries, deeper reviews, and then supplement that with, with my looking over them. And for others... I've never read it, and so I have to read it for the first time. And making time for that when you're in the midst of the school year is really challenging, but I know that we have all been there. So I I have to be realistic with my time, and while I want to offer all of the choices, of course I can't. And so I have to narrow that list as much as possible. Then I think the next step is thinking about your school's adoption policy. Do you need to get other readers? Do you need to put out a call for people who've already read the book? You know, do you need to have parent readers or student readers and getting those people on board to read the book and review it and indicate whether it can be part of your curriculum or not? So yeah, all of this takes a long time. So it can be really hard in crunch time in the spring to get all of this done for next year, which is why a lot of times building these types of units takes a lot longer. If your school has a lot of books, so my current school, I am the only English teacher. And so I I have my own books to depend on. But at my last school, we had a book room in our department that had a lot of books already. And that was really helpful. And usually what that meant is there was someone else in the department who had read the book, even if I hadn't. And while I still wanted to check it out for myself, I could talk to them about their experience teaching it, if there was anything I needed to be aware of. So make use of your resources at your school. Talk to your colleagues about their recommendations. I think that a lot of times the people we know and trust can be a great place to start building these lists. And also narrowing these lists. So I feel I feel like that's two different processes. The building is always really big and I end up with, you know, 25 different books on it. And then the narrowing for our budget and for what is realistic for me to get through is a second step in the process. So yeah, it, it's a lot of fun. I really love this kind of work, but it is something that you have to leave time for and to be really thoughtful about. And so then, you know, just making sure that the books you ultimately choose for literature circles have something in common, that there are common questions that you can all consider, even though the individual reading experiences may be quite different. I think that's something that you want to make sure that you have as you work through it. All right, that, that's a quick overview. I will say the process does take a lot longer. If anyone wants to message back and forth a little bit, I would be happy to share more details about the themes I'm working on. But that 
That's the basic process. So I will be back in just a few episodes and I will talk a little bit more about how I map out the year once I sort of have these literature circles in place. Thanks so much for listening. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Unabridged Pod or on the web at unabridgedpod.com for ways to support us. To get more involved, you can sign up for our newsletter, join a buddy read, or become an ambassador. Thanks for listening to Unabridged. Unabridged.